0: I hope you get that connection. That God wants us to live not by making things happen, by allowing him to do it in our lives. It just seems like uh, all through the service, I kept feeling like that was the word the Lord had to share. And... uh it didn't seem to fit and make sense, but uh, as Sandy shared what she shared, I, I feel like the Lord just kind of brought it all together. And uh, are you glad that God speaks to us? You know, He would speak more if we would look for it more. Does that make sense? I mean, we, I can't emphasize this enough. We get in the habit, we're good Christian people. We read our Bibles. We go to church. um, But way too much of it, I think, is us trying to make stones into bread. And it's not gathering manna. And so when we open the Bible, it's like we're trying to make stones into bread. And God says, just trust me. Gather the manna. Hear what I'm saying right now. Did you ever do that? You start praying and all you can think about is this huge looming problem that you just can't, and you're like looking for a verse. Okay, God, deal with this one problem. And God's like, just listen to what I'm saying right now. And you're like, but God, what you're saying right now doesn't fix my problem. Been there? God, okay, you love me, that's great, but what about this? And God says, no, don't get ahead of me. Trust me for manna today. Trust me for manna tomorrow. Trust me for manna, and I'll provide for you. Does that make sense? I hope so. All right, we've been in a series that we've called uh, Putting Away the Toys. And uh, it's a a series that's been challenging us to grow up in our faith, to put into practice the things that, that we believe. And as Paul says, When I grew up, I put away childish things. When I became a man, I put away childish things. And the way to become a man or a woman of God is to put away childish things. It's to put away the childish behavior. You're not going to grow up and be a man or woman of God uh, because you have perfect church attendance for 50 years. Okay? you're gonna become a man or woman of God when you start doing what God says and we stop acting like spiritual babies and we start applying the word of God to our lives. That's how we grow in our faith. And the Lord, even, he even says, you know, I led you into the desert and I made you hungry. What? God, I thought you wanted to just fill me up and give me a nice house and a nice car. Like that's what I heard the, the pastor, the preacher say, God says, no, I led you to a place where you were hungry so that I could provide for you. So you'd understand who I am for you. And so this idea of maturing or growing up in our faith is, is a good thing. And the nice thing about a series is you kind of know what comes next. Um, you know, today we're going to study Psalm 126 because it comes after Psalm 125, And uh, some Pentecostal preachers will say things like uh, they don't like to do a series because it stifles the Holy Spirit, Um, you know, as if the God who created the entire earth uh, did it on a whim that he didn't have a plan. I mean, the God that knows the end from the beginning is just making it up as he goes along. As if, you know, 6 months ago God couldn't reveal to us what he wanted to do in this service today, but he had to wait till last night to drop it in my spirit as a pastor. I don't believe that. I believe God can work in our lives and ordain our steps. It doesn't have to be the spur of the moment or on the fly. And so preaching a series at times takes the pressure off. It takes the pressure off of knowing what comes next. It takes the pressure off of us having a conversation earlier in the week. And, you know, you thinking that I'm only preaching that, that sermon in response to what we talked about this week. Uh, if, if we're in a series, huh, then that's up to the Lord. And so it kind of takes that pressure off. But it also adds a pressure because sometimes we can be in a series and we can think, uh, you know, I don't need to really listen to what God is saying because I know what comes next. Right? We can be making stones into bread. And so sometimes we still have to listen for what God wants to say. And you know, this sermon is all prepared. And really, I don't see how what God has already done today correlates with what I'm about to share with you. But uh, I don't really have to. Okay, I can trust that what God has already spoken was what God needed to speak. And I can trust that what he's about to speak is what we need to hear. Does that make sense? And so the idea of a series is kind of nice, but... Uh, the truth of the word of God never changes. And so today as we study Psalm 126, we're gonna be looking at joy. Some of you, it looks like you have joy. Some of you right now are like, you're not gonna get me to smile. I don't care what you do. We've been using the book by Eugene Peterson called Long Obedience in the Same Direction, studying the Psalms of Ascent. And uh, those are the songs that the Jews sang as they ascended to Jerusalem to worship God. And the correlation for us is as we ascend or grow in the Lord, these songs have meaning for us as well. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 126. And uh, this is what it says. This is from the message version of the Bible translation book, whatever you want to call it. It seemed like a dream, too good to be true, when God returned Zion's exiles. We laughed, we sang, we couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of the nations. God was wonderful to them. God was wonderful to us. We are one happy people. And now, God, do it again. Bring rains to our drought-stricken lives. So those who planted their crops in despair will shout hurrahs at the harvest. So those who went out with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing. See, the disciple of the Lord should know joy. We should live in a way that sees not just what we can see with our natural eyes, but we see more to the story. We live in Paul Harvey's world. Knowing that there's always more to the story than what we can see. And so we ought to have lives that are filled with joy. And yet there are some Christians who don't smile, they don't have time for jokes or frivolity. On the flip side, there are some Christians that can never be serious. And everything's a joke. And you can't have a, a Bible study and talk about the deep things of God or talk about what God's doing in our lives without, you know, trying to break the uncomfortableness with a joke. And so there's there's a balance. And that's why the scripture says there's a time to mourn, there's a time to weep, but the scripture says there's a time to laugh. And there's a time to dance. Joy isn't just laughter, it's not just happiness, it's deeper than that. But we can't live in the joy of the Lord and not, at some point of our Christian journey, laugh or feel good. And if we think we need to wait until all of the bad has passed and all of the hard parts of our lives have passed and all of the sorrow has passed before we can laugh, we don't understand the joy of the Lord. We don't understand the God that wants to provide for us and care for us. And this psalm tries to teach us that. Joy should be a characteristic of our lives as Christians. In Galatians chapter 5, the apostle Paul says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So in the natural, if you have an apple tree, you would expect to see an apple because that's the kind of tree it is. And so if the Spirit lives in us as believers, and the Bible says that he does, if we surrender our lives to Christ, if we put our, our confidence in what he did on the cross, the Spirit of God takes up residence in us, and if he does, one of the things he produces is Joy. It, it's a production. It's not a requirement to be a Christian. It's the result of being a Christian. There should be joy. Now, some of us are going to experience moments of sadness and pain, and some of us are even going to descend to low points in our lives where it feels like joy is never going to come again. But that's not the case. And in those times of sadness and pain and heartache, please don't hear the words that I've just said and say, well, I guess that just proves I don't have the spirit because I don't have joy. Please don't be cynical and allow that thought to resonate in your heart and mind. Don't say, well, I knew I wasn't really a believer because I don't have joy. No, just dig a little deeper into the things of God And allow him to produce joy in your life. You cannot make yourself joyful. You cannot buy joy. You cannot create joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And so, as we walk with the Spirit, he produces it in our lives. So as we walk with the Lord, as we come to know Him, as we come to understand His ways and how He operates, it produces joy in our lives. And sometimes that joy even comes in moments of heartache and in moments of pain. We can know the joy of the Lord because joy is a product of abundance and our God is a God of abundance. See, we try to obtain joy in our culture by entertainment. We spend money so that someone else's imagination can produce joy in our lives. We try to listen to things that make us laugh. We try to watch things that make us forget about our problems. And so we spend money trying to obtain joy and we pay them to tell us jokes or to perform in some way. But the problem is that type of joy can never really penetrate our hearts and lives, and it never produces a lasting change. I mean, it might may provide temporary relief for a few hours, or maybe a few days, or maybe even a few months, but true and lasting joy cannot be purchased. The sign of the in our culture that joy has kind of been eroded from our culture is the the huge entertainment industry that we have i mean we need to be entertained we need vacations because there's no joy i mean life is just toil and heartache and hardship and i need a vacation so that i can get infused with joy and here's the thing we come back from vacation and there's no joy the money ran out and there's no joy That type of joy cannot help us. We can't produce joy, but the psalm shows us there's something that we can do to get joy in our lives. We can decide that we're gonna live in response to the abundance of God and not to the dictatorship of our own needs. We can decide that we're gonna live in an environment of a living God and not in the environment of my dying self. I can remember Who God is and center my life on who he is. That's the kind of joy that's expressed right here in Psalm 126. The center of the psalm, verse number three, says this. We are one happy people. Now, on the one side of that phrase, the words are written in past tense. On the other side of that phrase, the words are written in future tense. And so what that tells us is our present joy, our present gladness has a past and it has a future. The background of the joy isn't really told to us but it's alluded to. When God returned Israel's exiles, we laughed and we sang. We were the talk of the nations. God was wonderful to them. God was wonderful to us. We are one happy people. So what happened that was so wonderful? What happened to make them happy people? Well, if you go through the the scriptures on nearly every page of the Bible, we find stories and allusions to what makes them a happy people. If you go into the book of Exodus and you see the story of God's people, they were in long, hopeless slavery in Egypt. One day we read the story that they're making bricks without straw and they're building these pyramids and these things for the Egyptians and then one day just like that, it's over. And the next day they're walking through the Red Sea singing songs of victory. Look at the song from Exodus chapter 15. I'm singing my heart out to God. What a victory. He pitched horse and rider into the sea. God is my strength. God is my song. And yes, God is my salvation. This is the kind of God I have. I'm telling the world. This is the God of my father. I'm raising the roof. I know the message translation at times, mm, just a little interesting. Some of you are like raising the roof. What are they talking about? That means to make a big ruckus of joy. Okay, if you don't know the modern vernacular, that's all that's what it is. They're just happy. You turn over a few pages in the scripture and we come to David. And David goes through years of wilderness warfare against the Philistine. He goes through years of crazy service to that maniac, King Saul, who one day is throwing spears at him and the next day is calling him his son and weeping over him. Then he goes through the the years of the painful prayer and guilt of murder and adultery. And in his old age, after all of that, he's chased from the throne by his own son. But in the midst of it all, look at his song in 2 Samuel. God is my bedrock under my feet, the castle in which I live, my rescuing night. It ends in confidence. Live, God, blazing or blessing from my rock. In the center, there is a rocket burst of joy. I'm ablaze with your light. I vault the high fences. There's joy even in all that David experienced. Turn over a few pages and you find the Babylonian captivity. The worst that any of us could imagine. Israel experiences rape in their streets, cannibalism. They actually were eating their children to survive. 600 miles they were forced to march across the desert into the land of Babylon. All the while being taunted by their captors. And then incredibly, joy. It starts in Isaiah chapter 40, very softly, Comfort. O comfort, my people," says your God. Speak softly and tenderly to Jerusalem, but also firmly and boldly, that she has served her sentence, that her sin is taken care of, forgiven. And it begins to build in Isaiah chapter 43. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. Don't be afraid, I am with you. And then it builds in Isaiah 52. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messengers bringing good news. Voices, listen. Your scouts are shouting, thunderclaps shouting, shouting in joyful unison. Now we understand what the psalmist says in verse 1. It seemed like a dream to good to be true when God returned Israel's exiles every story we read on the pages of the scripture was an impossible miracle there's no way it could happen and then all of a sudden it happened and we're told to nurture these memories of laughter and these shouts of joy we're told to fill our minds with the story of how God acts because joy has a history Joy is the verified, repeated experience of those involved in what God is doing. Joy is a real place and a real time. And it's nurtured in our lives by remembering that history of what God has done. The other side of that is in future tense. Joy is nurtured not just by the past, but by the anticipation. And for some, we get trapped in the good old days. I mean, we remember the joy of the past, but we can't pull it into the present and carry it into the future. And so we live trapped in the hopeful expectation of if we could just get it like it was back then. Look what the scripture says in Isaiah 43. Forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. See, in Babylonian captivity, they remembered what Jerusalem was like. They remembered how it was before they were put into captivity, before they started wandering in this barren wasteland of the present. And so it's not just enough to remember the past. It's to know that God has a future. I'm about to do something new see I have already begun I can hear him in captivity going where where I don't see it there are so many Christians that week after week they hear the promises of God and they're trapped in the past and if we could just get back to where God did it then then there would be joy in my life if and God's like I'm already doing it I, I would you just see it open your eyes to see The pain that you're experiencing right now will not last forever. I'll make a pathway through the wilderness. I'll create rivers in a dry wasteland. The prayer of Habakkuk in chapter three, the prayer sung by Habakkuk was I've heard all about you Lord i am filled with awe by your amazing work but in this time of our deep need help us again as you did in years gone by and in your anger remember your mercy and I'm so glad he had a vision to be able to see because look at he says in verse 17 even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength and he makes me as sure-footed as a deer able to tread upon the heights. See, if the joy-producing acts of God are characteristic of our past, then they will also be characteristic of our future because God is not about to change the way that he interacts with his people. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What we knew of him in the past, we will know of him in the future. The psalmist gives us two images so that we can fix our mind on it. The first is he says that bring rains to our drought-stricken lives. If you know anything about the geography of the land of Israel, the Negev is a desert. It's a wasteland. There are water courses that go through it as if there were rivers at one point that went through there. But most of the time, most of the year, it's just a baked, dry, barren desert. But all of a sudden, a rain comes. And all of those trenches are filled with water. And in the wake of that, the desert becomes alive with blossoms. Our lives are like that. We live in a moment where our lives are drought stricken. Where we have been waiting a long time, a lot of long years of waiting and in just a moment, the rain of God can come in our lives and that desert can bloom. And so he tells us, remind yourself of how I've acted in the past and anticipate what I'm going to do in your future. And you can live in that joyful expectation in the present. The second image he gives us, those who planted their crops in despair will shout hurrahs at the harvest. Those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing. We're in harvest season right now. In South Dakota. Those farmers who plant seeds in what looks like barren earth in the spring know that October is coming. And so they'll plant those seeds knowing that there's going to be a harvest. And that's the illustration he gives us. Reminding us that all of our suffering and all of our pain and all of our emptiness and all of our disappointment is a seed. And if we will take that seed and we will sow it in God, He will produce a harvest of joy. But it has to be sown in Him. Psalm 126 from the New Living Translation says, Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. It's a guarantee. Psalm 30 says, sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. You've turned my morning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. That I might sing praises to you and not be silent, O Lord my God. I will give thanks to you forever. One of the things that we have to remember as Christians is that laughter does not exclude weeping. That joy does not mean that we're going to escape from sorrow. That pain and hardship and disappointment are still going to come into our lives, but they can never drive out the joy of the redeemed. What we try to do as human beings is to achieve joy, let's just eliminate the things that hurt us. That makes sense. If I don't have any pain, I'll have joy. And so what we do is we try to get rid of the pain in our lives by just numbing the nerve endings of our lives. Maybe just medicating them if that's what we can do. We try to get rid of insecurity, just eliminate risk in our lives. We try to get rid of disappointment and we just depersonalize all of our relationships. If I don't put my trust in people, I won't be hurt again. And all of a sudden, there's no joy. I mean, we have no risk. We have no relationships that are going to hurt us. We've gotten rid of all the pain that we can get rid of, and yet we still need to try to buy joy. Psalm 126 says there is laughter in the results of living in the middle of God's will. There's laughter. That's hard. When I'm in the middle of heartache and pain, I can't laugh. That would be wrong. That would be sacrilegious. As if I just stay in this somber and continue to just meditate on my problems and how terrible it is and oh God, please just get me out of this. And God says just fix your thoughts on me and even laugh because about what I'm about to do. And we're like, God, I I don't see it though. Once I start to see it, then I'll laugh. Once I start to see it, then I'll I'll be glad. Once I start to see it, I'll stop complaining about other people. Once I I start to see it, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll have joy. And the problem is, until we let the joy of the Lord be our strength, we won't see it. Enjoyment is is not just to escape the pain of life, but it's a plunge into what God is doing. It's trusting him in the midst of it. There's gonna be pain and heartache in the past, there's gonna be pain and heartache in our future, but we trust that God is working all things together for our good. You know, and I don't know how many times as a pastor people have come to me in the wake of some tragedy in their personal lives, someone who died or someone who had, has been given some type of death sentence, cancer, it's just incurable, and they've looked at me and said, I can't see how God is working for my good. That doesn't change the fact that he is. As if somehow I'm gonna be able to reach into a hat of tricks and pull out an answer for them and say, here, look, this is how God is working for your good. As if in my life, every day I wake up, I can see how God is working for my good. No, there are lots of drought-stricken years of, God, I don't see anything, but I know you're working for my good. And so I can have joy in the midst of this moment because I know that my future will be filled with joy and laughter. And so I can laugh in the midst of pain because I know what's coming. The apostle Paul was our, was probably our greatest witness of this in the Scripture. Look at what he says in Romans chapter five. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles, because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us, and how that patience, in turn, forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next we sing and shout shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah now this isn't a guy that's sitting at a table in a church with nice clothes and things that and and everything in order this is a guy that has been shipwrecked and beaten and persecuted and hated left for dead and you know what he did when he went, got thrown into prison? He moped and said, God, where are you? I can't. No, he shouted and he praised and he sang. And in the midst of it, God showed up and he opened the prison doors. I wonder what would have happened if they had just sat together, Paul and Silas, and moped. Would there still have been an earthquake? Maybe your theology is that God is sovereign and he's just going to do. So that earthquake still would have happened no matter how Paul and Silas responded. I don't believe that. I believe our response to the promises of God will dictate what God will do in our lives. Otherwise, he would have told us, don't worry about praying. I'm just going to take care of it up here. But what did he do? He said, pray. Ask me to intervene. Seek me because it proves you have confidence in me. It proves that you really believe that I can do it and that I want to do it and that I'm going to do it. And so don't you dare stop praying and believing that I'm going to show up because you could live for years in the middle of that drought-stricken desert and in just one moment I could step in and there's going to be blooms everywhere. Or we can go into the middle of the desert and take our little potted plants and dig holes and try to plant flowers in our desert. That's just making stones into bread. We've got to trust that God is going to make it happen. Does that mean we don't have to do anything? No, we still have to set our mind on him. We still have to set our lives on him. Look what the scripture, well oh, I forgot to read what Paul said in prison. <laughs> This is what Paul wrote in prison. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Paul wrote this in prison. Celebrate God every day. Make it as clear as you can to all that you meet that you're on their side working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up at every minute. I mean, Are you living in the expectation that, you know what, I've been in this state for 25 years, but today could be the day. That's the kind of life. But pastor, I've been disappointed in the past. I can't, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But he can be a well of life springing up within us. Does that make sense? See, there's still something that we have to do. The scripture says, we still have to set our hearts and our minds. We still have to choose joy. God produces joy in our lives, but he's not going to produce joy in my, lives, my life if I don't set my mind on him. If I can't get past the fact that there's more to my life than what I can see right now going on and happening, that God is indeed working for my good. And I'm, I, if I have to remind myself every single day I've got to do it. And I've got to be obedient. Even when it's difficult, I've got to do what God has told me to do. Even when I don't think I have the strength to do it, I've got to do it. I don't produce the joy, but I set my heart and my mind. I set my perspective on Him. I make my life obedient to Him. And as a result of following Him, joy is produced in my life. James says, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. When troubles come in your life, you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. When your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, and you will need nothing. One of the most used verses about joy in all of the Bible is found in Nehemiah chapter 8. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If you go back and you put this verse into context, these people are returned from captivity and they're trying to rebuild the temple and the walls and all of this stuff and it's not going well. There's there's opposition. For a time, they actually have to fight with a sword in the hand or they have to live with the sword in one hand ready to fight off their enemies and working, building the, the walls with the other hand. And then they read the law and they realize that they brought this all on themselves. That the reason they went into captivity is is because they didn't obey the Lord. And so they begin to weep. And Nehemiah says, Don't be dejected or sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, it doesn't matter what my emotions or my feelings are, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It is, it's my strength. And so I can either meditate on my problem and my circumstance and I can exalt that over God or I can meditate on the past of how God has been faithful to me and to everyone else throughout history and I can set my mind on his future for me so that his joy will be my strength in my present. It's my choice. It's not an easy choice. Please don't misunderstand me. You're not going to come up front today and get prayed for and walk out this door on a spiritual high with a smile on your face and just birds singing around you. It's not an easy choice, but it is a choice. And it's a choice to set our hearts and our minds on the hope that God has done it before and he is going to do it again and I'm going to keep praying and trusting and seeking and asking and in the meantime, I'm going to lift my voice and shout my praise to God because he's faithful and in just a moment, he can cause the desert to go into full bloom. That's what the psalm is telling us. I want to remind us today that we are a people, the people of God, and we assemble together in this service or in this building or wherever we assemble to worship God. And then we disperse from this building to live for the glory of God. That's what the Apostle Paul meant when he said celebrate God every day. So that everyone you meet and everyone you come in contact with not knows that you're in the midst of the greatest despair of your life, but that you serve a God who's able to make a stream in a desert. And that's the promise of God. And so our lives right now in the present are bordered in our past by what God has done, And in the future, by what he is going to do. And we can live right now in this moment, no matter what's happening, and at the center of our lives say, we are one happy people. Can you say that? Can you say that today you are one happy person? Not that every relationship in your life is where it should be, Not that all your bills are paid as you'd like them to be. Not that all of your problems have been worked out. But that you're one happy person. Because your life is bordered in the past by the faithfulness of God. And in the future. With an expectation of what he's going to do. And so Father, I pray that today. Our lives would be rooted and grounded in that truth. That today there would be a contentment. There would be a deep abiding joy in our hearts. We can't produce it. God, we can't make the desert bloom. We can't take potted plants into our desert and try to to plant them in hopes that they grow. God, we've just got to live in your purpose and will and plan for our lives knowing that in just a moment you can make that entire desert bloom father i pray today for those that are in that that drought stricken land that have been living for years waiting anticipating that desert to begin to bloom Holy Spirit, I pray that your word today would resonate deep in their heart. That they would be able to cling to the hope that you are the God that brought joy in the past and they would live in that expectation, that anticipation, God, that today could be the day that that desert begins to bloom. May their joy and contentment be centered in you today. Father, may the joy of the Lord be our strength. If you're here today, I didn't plan to end this way, but I feel like we need to end this way. And you say, you know what, that's me. I'm in in the middle of a a drought-stricken land and I just need the desert to come alive. We're not gonna take a long time with this, but if that's you and you just say, you know what, would you pray for me today? Would you pray for the joy of the Lord to be my strength? Either you have joy or you've lost your joy, but if you can just say that I'm in the middle of a a drought-stricken land and I just need God to show up in the middle of it, would you stand where you are and say, that's me? Pray for me. You have an unsaved child that you've been praying for and believing for and you, you feel just, it's just hopeless. Everywhere you look is barren desert. It's not happening. You, say, you want to say, pray for me. You're facing an illness and it's just the doctors, there's just not hope. We serve the God of all hope. And against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and God credited him to righteousness. If that's you, just stand to your feet. Say, pray for me. If you're sitting and you're around someone who's standing, would you just put your hand on their shoulder? Would you stand and just go to where they are? Maybe you'll have to move a little bit. There's a lot lot standing in this one section, maybe even just put a hand on the person beside you who's standing, but let's just just begin to pray right now for these that are in this, this dry and weary place. And so Father, for each of these this morning that find themselves in a dry and drought stricken land. God, whether it's an unsaved child, whether it's a disease, whether it's a financial burden, God, whatever it is that they're facing, Holy Spirit, would you minister to them right now? Would you be joy in their hearts and in their minds that even in the midst of this, this dry and weary land that you would would in their spirits begin to to. To be a puddle, to be a a river that begins to just refresh and renew, God, that hope, that anticipation, that even if the circumstances don't begin to change, that even if the, the desert doesn't begin to bloom, God, that rivers of living water would just begin to flow in their heart and their mind, that there would be a renewed hope, a renewed anticipation, a renewed expectation for what you're about to do in that situation. So Holy Spirit, would you minister right now to them? God, would you begin to make a way in this situation? Would you begin to to begin to bring uh, lost children back to you? God, would you begin to turn their hearts even now? God, like a, a, water, would, a water course, would you begin to just flow through the hearts and the minds of these children, reminding them of things that they have been taught and trained? God, that your word says that they're not gonna be able to depart from those things. They're gonna be in, begin to resonate in their hearts and their minds again right now God that you would bring financial breakthrough that you would bring healing God that you would bring provision of whatever kind into the lives right now God that you would cause these desert places just to begin to bloom right now restore hope right now to your people I pray let it be done let it be done Breathe fresh life, fresh hope on every heart and every life right now. In Jesus' name. Father, we trust you. We believe your word that says that you are always at work in our lives. You are always working for our good. Help us, Holy Spirit, to trust you, to be faithful to you, even in the hardest moments of our lives, to trust that you will make a way even when there appears to be no way. May these words resonate in our hearts today and in this week ahead, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I apologize for keeping you a little bit late today. But uh, God bless you as you go. May the joy of the Lord be your strength. Don't forget, parents, to pick up your children down in the classrooms uh, immediately following this service. God bless you as you go.